British Strongman Podcast. Tonight we've got uh, Paul Smith. Hello, everybody. Very kind of him to uh, come on at such short notice. We had um, a higher profile guest come on, but um, he... uh, (laughs) I'm proper B division, aren't I? Oh, just get Paul on then, go on. (laughs) He called on, so we had to get Paul on at last minute. (laughs) No, I'm only kidding. Um, To be honest, mate, we... We uh, so thanks thanks for stepping in. So we're, obviously we're going to um, we're, we've arranged to have Shannon on where we're going to talk about nutrition and stuff. And there's loads of stuff that we want to cover with her. Uh, but to be honest, we're wanting wanting you to come on at um, some point anyway. But it's just we've um, obviously got got you on tonight. So thank. You. Say that now. That is the inbox was empty before this. So uh, th- thanks for coming on anyway, mate. So anyway, let, let, let's start off with uh, t- talking about UK strongest man where you've just competed. So t- tell us about your weekend. So you you've uh, you've done really well. You came fourth. That's a, your highest uh, position that you've you've done at that comp, isn't it? Yeah, um, came fifth last time I did it, and then came fourth this time. A bit more of a bit of a buffer as well, so it was a better performance. Um, so podium went really well. Sorry, go on. Podium next year? Yeah, well, I was really up for the win. Um, we got the event. It's all late notice. only about three weeks' notice. And I got the event. And it's just the way it falls sometimes. My best events were day one and two, which don't count towards the final positions. And the final wasn't too good for me. So, beforehand, I wouldn't have been very happy with fourth. But with the events, it didn't really suit me. So, fourth's not bad. Um, I still would have liked to be on the podium, but... My strength-wise, I felt really good throughout the three days, so I've definitely I've improved, and I'm in a good spot. It was just one of them where it was uh, it just didn't quite suit me too well. So I didn't actually watch UK. So explain to me what was the what were the events on the days then? So it was um, it was three days, the first two days, and five uh, three events, first two days, and then five events in the final. So first day was it was a 450 over 20 meters, max silver dollar deadlift. And then a log ladder from 100 to 180 to finish day one. Day two was 150 farmers on the gas cylinders for 40 meters, no drops. Then it was arm over arm truck pull, and then to finish it was a stone run in the in the wet. Did those two then, days get added together to qualify you to day three? No, so UKs, it's resets every day. So it's day one, then resets, day two. Ah, resets. right, okay. So two drop out of each group each day, which leaves, so it's two, two groups of eight, two drop out each day, which leaves two lots of four to go together for the eight-man final. Right, okay, I understand. So, so by the time you got to day three, as long as you qualified, it almost didn't matter how you did. Yeah, I mean they have um, they have winners of each day and they have trophies and stuff to try and incentivize it a little bit and you kind of where you go in your lanes on the uh, final day, but for most of the guys aren't too bothered about that. So as long as you're in the top top five and then top top four, well, there's an eliminator for the bottom three each day for the which is a car hold. So you don't want to do that. So if you're in top five and top three on day one and two, you get through to the finals without having to do that and relatively fresh. Right. So what was the last uh, day's events then that weren't too good for you? So the final it started off, it was a sandbag load, 100 to 180. Um, 180. Then it was a truck pull. 
Yeah, it was a it's a funny one because it was we were competing at night and in rain most of the time. So a lot of the events we didn't get as far as everyone thought, which never looks the best. But it's it's one of them on the day. If it's outside, it just just got to deal with it. Um, then it was a truck pull. It was two trucks. So one you started off with one and then had like a strap of like two meters. So then the second one to kick in, um, and then it was two trucks to the line. Then event three was a dumbbell medley, 80 to 120, and then a, a squat on a frame, kind of a Smith machine, which I did like. Um, that was 300-ish for reps, and then to finish it was power stairs, which was a new one for me and probably a few of the other guys. Also, I, I like the way, by the way, that you're saying, you can tell your experience the way you're saying, you know, this went wrong, it was fucking raining or whatever, and you would just, you just like, that's just the sport. Because um, a lot of people, as soon as they finish a comp, it's, uh, oh, if this didn't happen or this didn't happen, you know, I would have done better. But it is like you say, it's just how it goes. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, some guys were on, you could tell some of the newer guys were there, like, oh, this is, this is where, this is going to be hard, or dumbbells going to slip, or this isn't right. They've left the things that left the rope out in the wet. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't matter what they do, they could set us all on fire. And it's still equal, so it doesn't really matter. Like, we won't lift as much. We're not going to be looking at PBs. But across the board, it's completely fair, so it doesn't matter what they do to it. It's all, we're all in the same boat. So what, what was your, your favourite event then? So I'll be, um, I read that you did uh, really well on the farmers, and that's something that you've, uh, you've worked hard at, because you were shit at it, weren't you, you said? Yeah, I mean, well, farmers are... Probably been pretty much my best event, but I did the gas cylinders, um, the gas bottle ones at Smanania, so the same set, 150 hand for 40 metres, turn at 20 and no drops allowed. So I did it in training on like some adjustable ones, did it in 20-odd seconds, thought I'm going to smash this, blah, 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 was giving it all the shit talk. Loz told me like kind of to calm down a little bit, and I was like, no, nah, you don't know what you're on about, I'm going to smash it. I get there, I go about the snail's pace, I make the... Turn and it's running two meters and drop it, so I felt like a bit of a twat. So <laughs> I got some after that, I got some gas bottles. There's some graft on them, uh, for about 10 weeks and every uh, every then kind of got into comp prep for other comps, but it, it seemed like I really improved on those and hadn't had a proper going to comp since then. So I was a bit nervous thinking about last time, but picked them up, felt really good. I'd got used to them, and then it just the event went really well. Finished the course. I think I was the only one who finished it across both groups and finished it pretty comfortably. So uh, that was my favourite event of the of the, uh, of the comp. So th this is something that we that we reiterate a lot on the podcast, right? Because obviously we want it to be we want uh, to give value to the listeners. And what you said there about. You, you gave us the example of like you were oh, really confident on the farmers, giving it fucking big licks or whatever. And then you've gone to the event and then it's been a slightly different setup than what you've trained on. And then you've, in your inexperience, in, in your inexperienced self, you've been, uh, you've fucked up on the day or with the, with the gas cylinders, where realistically what we've done is, um, can you hear me, Paul? Oh, he's gone, he's died. Um, but anyway, uh, we'll, we'll keep talking. Um, but basically what, what Paul's done there is um, he's gone away and uh, appreciated that the setup's uh, different. And, um, oh, he's back now. Oh, good. 
yeah, sorry about that. I said that you've gone away and appreciated that the setup's uh, different. Gone away and trained it after fucking after like doing shit in that event, and like appreciated the fact that there could be so many different setups of like farmers, for instance. That's some that's something that personally I, I I did for my last comp was like I'm cycling different farmers handles. I've got like three different ones that I'd be using because we 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 did the turn at my at my last comp and. I found that, right, well, the ones that I like to use with higher pickup feel great with their high pickup, but they're a bit longer. So I'm turning and the, the turn feels so hard to control. And then I go with the short handles one day. Uh, the grip's not quite as good on them, um, but the turn's really easy. The turn's really easy to control. My point is, like, there's so many different variables that we can practice. And we don't want you as the listeners to be one of those bitches <coughs> that turns around and puts on social media after comp day, or oh, I fucked up this, or the, the, the log was outside and I looked up at the sky, or oh, the, the floor was wet or whatever, so I couldn't do my... Like, these are all little things that you can prepare for that we kind of try and reiterate all the time. Uh, g- gas cylinder farmers are some of the worst as well, because they're just like smashing to your legs and... You're almost like sometimes you're like knocking them out of your hands, and they're just not this, they're not as comfortable as uh, your standard farmers you get off a fabricator. Yeah, um, I'm not well, everyone uses the adjustable ones now. A few years ago, there seemed to be more like funky one off ones, a lot were a lot wider, so you would kind of get used to that. I have some RSJ ones that are like cutting to your legs, but now most people have the kind of standard thin narrow farmers that are loadable and I think it's yeah, just yeah. been lost a bit. The log you, outside as well. The, um, sorry, go on Paul. Um, when you mentioned the log looking up at the sky, I mentioned Phil Roberts because it's not something I've struggled with a lot, but I realised when I started, everyone had kit outside and you trained outside events pretty much exclusively. Yeah. It's only re- more recently when everyone started getting logs in gyms that they used to do it inside with sealed, everything's fixed. So they go outside now and it's unusual for them. So I just thought it was a little bit of a kind of culture change for the older guys. It's not, you know, it's normal, but for the newer guys, it does uh, yeah. it does kind of shock the system once they've got a look up at the sky and everything's moving around. I, I think I think it's a very uh, valuable thing to v- valuable thing to train that if you think potentially you can't could be outside, like you've got to you've got to at least do like a bit of a trip, like do one of your training sessions in your prep like outside. Like you saw it at um, the Giants Live results. I don't know if you you saw the results and thought, you know, Giants Live Europe's the max log. And like, I think there was quite a lot lot lower than uh, what we'd expect if it was like an arena show. What, What do you think about that? Yeah, I noticed that definitely. Cause, I mean, um, there's a lot of like one eighties, weren't there? Like, yeah, obviously Hicks still hit massive press, but the other guys, no one went above one eighty. Even though you'd be thinking some of the guys pushing two hundred. Um, I think that's a thing. I think everyone has really good log setups now. It's kind of become a bit of the gold ribbon, uh, gold ribbon event in strongman. So they've got the pads that are the fucking twenty twenty point six inches, and they've got the surface that they like, and they've got grip tape around it or liquid chalk and everything's set but then strongman's such an open skill you get to set the slightly different and it can really throw you off i can remember um ben badger saying to me once that they do they rotate a log they've got three logs and rotate every session yeah that's and i think great. something really, really valuable you, you're going to get different kit 
on the day. Yeah. What I got told about that as well was that because it was raining, the floor was very slippy. So someone like Hicks is very like feet planted, strict press strength. Whereas Aaron Page is very um, explosive and he, he almost jumps back a little bit. Whereas I, I imagine you'd be very cautious to move your feet. So I think that is something that, because the only person really that I expected to log much more than they did was Aaron because he's slinging around 200s for fun. And then I think he only got 180, didn't he? But again, they're just, it's two different styles of press. Hicks, he could, you know, he could probably get more out of his legs if he uh, utilised that technique. But he's so strong, it almost doesn't matter if he's slippy because he's just planted on the floor still. The same thing happened at um, Europe's last year, OSG Europe's, um, the one the one that I competed in and no repped. And I didn't know rep because of the fucking stone. It was like I was nowhere near strong enough to do that. It was like 127 or whatever. But... Um, but like someone like Flash, for instance, I remember speaking to Flash on the day, and um, and uh, and like it was such a sunny day, like looking up at the sky, and uh, Flash had it in his locker to like virtually pretty much strip press it, and uh, and he went and did that, got the one, and it got him like max points. Everybody else like fucking no repped it, um, but it just shows that again, it's another like kind of adaptable thing. Like whereas me me being like quite naive in terms of thinking doing math like I hadn't really considered it like how much it was going to affect I could, I could barely even clean well I, I couldn't I could clean it I cleaned it like two or three times but I couldn't I couldn't stabilize in the rack position looking up at the sky and like doing doing a max weight it was uh it's crazy so yeah, it's just strong man though and I remember Northern's opens one year was outside in the snow and they were doing like, I think it was 150 axle for reps. <laughs> fucking snowing. <laughs> yeah, that was 2017. I didn't do it that year, thankfully. But um, yeah, I saw a picture of uh, Scott Litchfield with 150 axle over his head in the blizzard. It, looked, it did look cool as fuck, but that's the thing. I, I mentioned this as well at UK's. I think with the guys that have done the Northern's Open comps, they're so just horrible and dirty and brutal and like, there's no nice kit at all. We just do it and everything's grip yeah. and back heavy. So you get to a, a comp that's a bit horrible and you find some of the guys that are, I know a lot of the Southern comps, they all seem to be like nice weather or indoors and a nice kit and deadlift bars and stuff. And you get to one that's just a bit shit and they're not as good. They're not as adaptable. So I think kind of doing, doing the worst possible stuff will get you ready for when it's bad or when it's good as well. Yeah. This is something that we're, what I've really valued during lockdown and it's like, I feel like I've come on personally um, through taking that approach of like, it was, it was, we had a little setup down at my dad's load of strongman kit where I could train outside. And um, it was just, it was just fucking awesome. Like it, it didn't matter if it, it was pissing down, the lane was piss wet through and I was going for like, it was windy, but I was doing like max axle on the lake on, on like the road and, um, doing like max dumbbell on the road and I hit, hit some my like awesome numbers in like some, like for me in like some, in just terrible conditions where I've like, I like almost forced myself to like, I'm thinking, no, it doesn't matter that it's pissing down. It doesn't matter that the floor is slippy. I'm not going to come back tomorrow and do it when, when it might be drier. Like I'm actually going to practice being in this shitty, like I feel I'm freezing. I'm cooling down in between sets, but it's so relevant to what we could, what we could compete in. And, um, and I, 
and like com competing since, like you can't help but hear people moaning in the, at the comps that you do, like saying, oh God, this oh, warm up area is not big enough, or oh, I need a warm up set, or oh, they should have this, or they should have like, you kind of need to move away from that as an athlete, I think. Um, for, yeah. If you like standardized shit and like warm ups and blah, 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 like, like maybe maybe you'd be more suited to like powerlifting or weightlifting where you where you'll know you can go and use the calibrated plates, the same bar. I swam there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's the thing that I fucking love about strongman because it, it it's a skill in itself. People think about like getting or get a better log, get a better deadlift. Whereas actually, like I I value building the skill of being versatile. I think that is such a such a you you know like say if you'd you'd have been at UK's at the weekend and they'd have said right Paul we're we're not doing uh, power stairs anymore we're doing fucking I don't know chain drag or something like you'd have just been like oh cool let's do yeah. it whereas a bit a lot of people would be panicking and bitching and be like oh fucking hell this is a farce or whatever yeah I'll, thinking um, about bitching we've got to ask you because I've heard it all over social what's your take on that Paul Benton thing. Can I can I just give do, give me two minutes and then we'll get onto that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll use UK as an example. Obviously, UK's big comp televised. We were in a prison. We were in an 18th century prison, from five, half five till about one or two o'clock in the morning each day. We start competing at eight. Our changing rooms were the cells. We had two athletes in each cell. Our warm-up area was about eight meters long by about two meters across. What about this year's UKs? This is this year's UKs. Yeah. Okay. We, to be fair, we've had a lot more kit this year than we have had at previous comps. I was quite happy with it. I mean, think of this as a good setup. We had the farmers to warm up with that were comp weight. The gas bottle. We just had a set of gas bottles. We had a log. We had a deadlift bar and about 200 kilos of plates and some blocks. We had a 70 kilo uh, fixed dumbbell. We had a forklift that we could squat off. Um, and we had no lights for this. This was pitch black, completely pitch black. We had a slippy board to walk on. There was like shit everywhere on the floor, tripping over that you couldn't see. So that, that was a good setup. So if you think, if you're thinking you're doing a comp and you're not prepared for that, that was UK. So, you need to be you need to be ready for some conditions that aren't great. We did a stone run at midnight, pissing down. It was about two degrees. Um, the pressing events were facing uphill, so you're ready in a bit of dorsi flexion um, before you start to press. So it's it's things like that. Where, and you'll see guys when it's on TV posting, oh, I could do that way. I could, and you, and you probably could at one o'clock in Saturday afternoon in your nice gym, but it's. It's things like these where you've got to be ready and you've just got to do it. So that's my little bit on that, my little old-timer rant on that. Yeah, I, I, and it's the same at all levels, isn't it? It's like I, I went to a comp, comp I think it was um, uh, one of the two twins, one of his, uh, one of the first comps, and it was, um, and they're not very, they, they weren't very good at yoke anyway, and it was a 300 yoke, and it was just like, 
they were doing like fucking jogging on the spot to warm up because it was just like, right, lads, you're straight in. There's no warm ups. It was 300 yoke into 250 frame or something. And it was like his first like inters comp and it was just like maximal and like no warm up. And but that that's fine. That's that's standard. Like I, I was I was saying this to a client the other day. I was saying like he was taking, um, he came to train on a Saturday morning, and like we've got obviously we've got all the kit and stuff, and he's training for like two hours, and he wanted to do a bit of deadlift, and which he deadlifted once or twice a week anyway, and um, and he was taking like fucking, he took like forty minutes building up to like eighty percent of his max. I'm like, what the fucking hell are you doing? Like, you're here. You've travelled like an hour and fifteen minutes to get here. Like, come and go and do some of the other stuff. Like, why did why did you why did you test yourself today if you're doing deadlifts? Why did you see if you can get up to eighty percent in as few sets as possible warm up? And he's like, oh oh yeah, but what about oh I might get in, I might get injured or whatever. Like, if you want to compete in strongman, like this is a, again another valuable skill. Just fucking throw yourself in sometimes, and like, yeah, your your, your performance might not be as good as if I, I I do it quite quite frequently, where I'll go into like a three hundred yoke or a two fifty frame, no warm up or whatever, and yeah, it will be my performance will be a lot worse on that day than if I'm spent doing quite a few build up sets to it, feeling the weight or whatever, make sure I'm feeling good. But in my opinion, it's such a valuable skill that you can. And you can actually get, you can actually learn that, oh my God, like you can actually do quite big weights and not break and actually, so, so then when it does come up in again, like a comp and you, and you don't have a fucking warm up, you, you're fine. You're fine. You're actually ahead of the other guys who are fucking panicking like headless chickens because they're. Yeah. I think your main warm up should be like when you first get there and then once you do one event, you you know, you, you neurologically firing, you're ready. If next event's yoke, I'll make, if I, when, I, when I used to compete, I'd always warm up for the first event. And then for a yoke, I'd always be a cheeky cunt and I'd just push through and even if they weren't letting me, I'd just pick the yoke up once and then fucking sit down. And that would be my <clears throat> warm up. Um, that's it. That's a good point because we were like told you couldn't use a kit. So just do it before they get, tell you. Like I, me and a couple of other guys had to go on the silver dollar empty. We got three twenty, so we like pulled two twenty in the barbell, three twenty four hundred. The other guys that were like being good went two twenty four hundred, and it was a big shock. So just just get on and do it. Don't listen to anyone like cheat if you have, you know. What I mean, just just do it. Don't ask for permission. Cause yeah, I've always been not invited to do it. Like disqualify me, like if you want for warming up, and then they'd be like, oh, I can't really do that. And I'm like, yeah, no, fuck off. Yeah, exactly. Don't yeah, don't ask. Don't be that guy and push it and, and don't worry about everyone else. Yeah, but you don't you don't need to you don't need to take the pace, but you know, just like a little like a for me, just that little yoke pickup was enough to be like, right, I felt that heavy, I'm all right with it, and I know it's gonna feel a bit lighter when I you know, when it says go <laughs> when adrenaline's flowing and then it, that's all I need in my brain to tell me I'm good. Oh, of course, yeah. Don't take much. Right, shall we shall we do it? Are we doing it? Oh, the Benton? The Benton. Yeah. So I want to know what actually happened because I've heard a couple of things on the old social and none of it really made sense or flowed. Um, but I know he obviously spat his dummy out about something. 
So I feel I can give you the full version. Um, and then, and there's a lot of history between you and Paul Benton, isn't there, Paul? Uh, not, <laughs> not massive. They don't like me. But other than that, yeah. I'm fucking taking the piss. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I'm fucking, I'm fucking done you there. Yeah. Okay, you got me there. <laughs> fucking hell! Well, I'll let, I'll edit that out, Paul. <laughs> right, on, I, won't, I won't really, will I fuck? Yeah, you're not. No, fucking. Go on, tell us the story. Imagine I'm not here. Right. Um, so, did the did the oak, did the deadlift? Uh, Paul was sitting top half, at least, top four. Um, then we did the log. So, it was two heats, uh, two lanes, sorry. So, it's four heats. So, Paul went down, might have been in the second heat. I don't think it was the third. No, it was the second. Yeah, second heat, 100, 120, 180. So one motion the first two quickly. 140 takes him a while, presses it, but it, it, it takes a fair while. Um, the rest of us go out. Lou, uh, Lewis Jack hits 160. I knew a quick frigger to get me through, so one motion, all three. I beat Mark Jeans in my heat pretty comfortably, so I thought, right, I'm, I'm good. I'm second place, I'm, I'm good. So the guy's scoring. Right, scores down. I noticed, I think I was down for 30 seconds or something. I thought, there's, n there's no way three one motion take me that long. And then Mark was down like 22. Has beaten me. So I thought, hold on, something's gone wrong here. But then Paul asked the scorer, said, am I safe? He went, yeah, you're safe. So he walks off, goes and gets his kit. Um, well, I assume goes and gets his kit. I don't know where he's gone. Um, then, then I say to him, hold on, I beat Mark in this. And then one of the other lads say, this, I was quicker than him in this heat. Um, so basically, they messed the scores up. They wrote the wrong ones down or wrote the split times down. So group B have to go. So that happens. And then big Z uh, re records the times, all the times. Um, he did one off the TV footage, but obviously with TV footage, there's hours and hours to scroll through and scrub through on a little screen. So he got the videos off the mobile phones, which, I mean, if to be fair, you could edit them to be... To be uh, slower or quicker but as far as I know no one was doing that while stood outside the freezing cold prison at midnight but anyway re-record them do the proper scores I think Paul was maybe seventh on that uh seventh or eighth so he's in the bottom three to do the car hold so we go and get our stuff go and get ready because people are in cells you can't really see them it's dark anyway so I assumed he was around somewhere I assumed he'd been told but um, I go out to watch car hold, and there's only two lads standing there. It was Des and uh, Andy Flynn. So I'm like, what's happening here? Turns out they've rang Paul. Oh, sorry, I missed out a bit. Paul comes out halfway through this kind of event while they're rescoring the times. They tell him, oh, the times are wrong, we're rescoring him. He makes comments about us being bitches and, and complaining to the rest, blah, 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 blah. So he knows they're reshuffling the scores, getting them right. So then he goes back into prison. And then at some point he goes, because they ring him to find out where he is when the car hold's about to happen. And he's all oh, gone, you've done me, this isn't fair, this is wrong, you screwed me, blah, 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 blah. Basically say, you need to come back. Like, you're in the bottom three. And he's like, no, I'm not doing it, blah, blah, blah. Expletives, expletives. And then he's gone. 
so do the car hold Desmond wins he's through to day two and pulls out and then obviously all the stuff on social media all that happens but that I mean that's it it's, it, it wasn't a massive thing it just kind of escalated afterwards so that's the uh that's what happened and then it was all the stuff on Did, didn't he media. get uh, away with because someone was saying something about he'd already got away with a bit of uh dodgy refereeing on the yoke or something yeah, so we had a one-meter dead zone. If you drop the yoke, you're okay. And then after that, if you dropped it, that's your, that's your distance. So it took a few steps and dropped it. I mean, Big, Big Z was refing. He said that was fine. He used his discretion. It looked like he was further than the meter, but that's the way it goes. I wasn't like, I don't know if some guys, but I was like, I'm not going to let it get to me. It happens. No point stressed about that. Yeah, but what I mean is they like weren't like targeting him to, you know... Pull That's him. a good point. Yeah, that is a good point because yeah, if they were trying to get him, they would have he would have done that. But it's Big Z, Big Z ain't trying to screw Paul Benton out of a UK's strongest man. I know. Yeah, not being funny. Big Z does like he's just there to ref a comp and then go home. He wants to get the comp. Um, <laughs> and not like you, Ultimate Strongman aren't going to con their champion out of a out of the comp to make their title look what less legitimate. Like just, it, there's no conspiracy there. Yeah. People are giving Glenn a lot of shit as well. And Glenn, Glenn wasn't involved in the ref and he was just on the mic. It was big Z that messed up the scores and, like, take, and then another like, guy scoring. So it, it, you know what I mean? As an outsider, it, it's, um, it's clear with no emotion attached. It's very clear what's happened. Like he's, he's pissed off. Like, cause there's been a, a referee fuck up and he's been told one thing and then it's been corrected. Like, correctfully corrected um but that is it's not just strongman it is sport isn't it that's what sport that's what happens in sport look at like stuff at the minute like with var and football and stuff like that like everybody at every level of every sport is like fucking up and and it's not it's not fucking big z's fault or glenn ross's fault or ultimate's fault the fucking human aren't they like the, the, there's been there's been there's been a mistake, and it, unfortunately, as humans, it does happen at most comps, whether it be your first timers, novice, weight class, right up to UK's like world's world strongest man. There was the controversy verse of uh, the other year with Thor and Eddie, wasn't there about the Viking Viking press? Yeah, I didn't hear about right. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but my point is like. Again, for the listeners, like you do your, whatever comps you're doing, and there's in, you're inevitable. If you, you you're in this for like say the long game, you're going to do a good few comps a year for however many years. You are going to experience fuck ups with uh, pe- people at comps and in, inconsistent refereeing and stuff. So again, our advice is be versatile. Don't be, don't be a fucking bitch about it. Deal with it. Like, um, don't tr- try not to bitch and moan about it. Don't, don't be like, oh yeah, this fucking comp shit or whatever. Like, go, go, go and do what, what other, what, what the guys did at UKs when they realised there was, well, hey, hey, hang on, there's a, there's a fuck up with the time here. Would we be able to review the footage? And if we review the footage and the timing's different, use that as a, the correction. And that's what happened. And unfortunately for Paul, he'd been he'd been told that he was through, he could relax, and I understand I'd be fucking pissed off. But he should be, in my opinion, he should be responding to that 
the correction and be like, this is fucking shit, but I need to be, uh, I need to get back in there and do it. Yes, especially with them point resets, because now that I know that, he should have just fucking held on to that car, qualified, and then it didn't matter about a little yeah. fuck up on the log. He could have had five fresh events in the final, uh, but he's not even giving, he's, he's basically done himself. This was day one to get to day two, not the final. Just oh right, okay. Well, he's, well, he's still he's, he's done himself, hasn't he? He's not he's he's fucked it. Yeah, I mean, because um, he mentioned about not about thinking he'd done enough, but th- he asked if he was safe after the he was second heat, so he had no idea what the other guys were going to do. So it was like he went to failure essentially. He went as fast as he could. It wasn't like oh, if you get eight reps, you're safe. And he got eight reps and fingered. It was a medley, and he went. As fast as he could, and and then afterwards checked had he done enough. Checked was it good enough, and they said it was. But it's not like he he got told beforehand. Like he just had to do it his best and and hope that was enough. And it wasn't. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's a shame anyway, to. Sorry, sorry. I was going to say let, let let's move on for it. It's pretty it's pretty clear what's what's happened, yeah. and, and I just think it's a shame on not that it gives a fuck what I fucking think anyway, but like I just think it's a shame from his part that he's like tarnishing the brand of like say ultimate Trump, whatever um because yeah, of that. he, that's that's his that's his platform to perform isn't it so he's just like he's just fucking it for himself you, you could see the way that the post that he put the way that he worded it and stuff was it is just quite seems quite ridiculous once you once you know the facts in my opinion um you'll see it on tv anyway and it'll it'll become quite clear so yeah so Paul, um, so from competing in obviously you, uh, in the with the, the ultimate and Giants Live as well, um, who were your top five opens currently? British. Yeah, top five Brit- British opens. Who are your f- top five favourites? Who, who are the? Go on. Top five, Fav- yeah, don't, don't, analyze, don't analyze it. I'm putting you on the spot here. Favourites or best or what we're saying? Yeah, who, who, do you, who, do you think, who do you think are the best right now? So let's say we had a comp, we didn't know the events, we just had to pick five guys for. Yeah. I'd say... And, it, and, it, and Paul, you don't have to include yourself in this so you don't look like a cock, by the way. Oh, I'm not going to include myself because then I just get, I get grief, don't I? Uh, <laughs> I'd never say Bish. I think Bish is one of those guys, whatever the events are, he's not going to be far off. Um, I'd say Luke and Tom, um, both but Luke and Tom have a couple of weaknesses, but there's not many. And their strong events are amazing. Um, I'd say Hixie as well. Like some of the events, Hixie are the best in the world. Like Hixie has a few more weaknesses, but if he has good events, he, he, barely any in the world can beat him. And then at the moment, I'd probably say Luke Richardson as well. He's coming on a good way. And obviously, he's got Shane. So he's got someone that actually knows the sport, not just some potato. Um, and he's prepared him really well. Seems to be really well-rounded. Um, I'm sure there are some little weaknesses to improve on. But all the big stuff, he seems like he's got a pretty good handle on everything. So what about fast forward three years from now? Will that, will that top five be the same, do you think? Or... Do, what 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 changes will there be? Um, Obviously, we don't know, but I'm I'm just speculate. It's I mean I feel like someone like Hicksy and Luke in three years. I don't know if they'll still be 
compete. I don't know if we wind it down a bit. Um, I feel like Tom and Lucas will be going strong and probably Bish. Um, who else is up there? I, they sort of like, I mean, like Gavin, who's just won UKs, he's looking really good. I feel like he's going to improve a lot, but it's, it's three years is a long time in Strongman. He's not the youngest guy. So he, I think a lot of the guys that are in the next kind of step, they're already kind of, they're not the youngest. So I'm not sure in three years how much, how, like if they'll still be pushing on. How old are you now, um, Paul? 26. 26. So you're younger, young, young guns still, aren't you? Yeah, it's weird because I was one of the most experienced at UK. I've been, I've been competing since 2011, and they were like, oh, they're 26, and I'm like, what? But I got in there, got in there early. Yeah, you, you do remember you're fucking excellent at Salt Air when you were about 12, and I was like, fucking this guy's a freak. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I came up on, that was last, I think that was the end of 2012. Um, was it you, Ben? Oh, we you, you, you 18 or something. I was 18, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know you were young because I remember seeing you axle like 140 and you had really good tech and really explosive. And I was like, all right, this is different for an open because all the open guys and you were like real slow and mongy and you were just like Olympic lifter looking. I was like, oh, interesting. Yeah, I think, well, I've, I've done a lot of different sports. So I never really got into I, ne I didn't come in so much from the classic kind of bodybuilding standard, just. Yeah, you can really tell that as well, because that's the most common transition, isn't it, for an open? Is usually they're a big fucking meaty bodybuilder um, that transitions over. But what, what, what were you doing at that age then to get into lifting? So I got into lifting, I mean, I got into lifting in my fucking bedroom with my August weights when I was boxing. Um, then I started lifting props in the gym, but at the time I was... I was playing rugby. I was doing a bit of jujitsu. I was. Why did you stop boxing, by the way? I, well, I got really into it. And I, was, I was pretty good at it, but um, is, you, is it because your your face is your head's too big, like big big target? <laughs> it was smaller then. Um, basically, I got to a point. I was I was quite heavy, even though I was only light. I was quite heavy for a box. I wasn't getting many fights. I had one that I lost. And I was training loads and it felt like I'd have forever to wait before another one. And it was that age where my mates would start going out and I was messing about. So I just kind of fell out with it a bit. Um, so I just stopped. I mean, it was absolutely brilliant for getting for just any sport and discipline and stuff. But I was just that age where it, you just want to try other things and just kind of enjoy yourself. So, and then what was I doing? Playing rugby, a bit of jiu-jitsu, playing basketball. And I was kind of doing training for strongman in a fucking bodybuilding gym, making a duck walk out of a, a weight tree and all that stuff. And I was getting better. And then I started doing a bit of event training. This was kind of like the year after my first comp when there still wasn't much around. And then I was getting better at it. And I, I was getting to level. I wanted to do an open comp. So I'd done a novice. I, want, I thought I want to do an open comp next. So I'll train up until I'm good enough. And I just finished my season of rugby and we we're getting to pre-season. I was going up into the seniors, into the first team. But I really started getting into strongman and I wanted to do a comp. And there was one in January that I saw. And then after that, I thought, right, right I want to do this. So I kind of stopped doing all the other stuff. And that was me. And then once I started doing that comp, I've kind of full season since then, uh, all year round. 
you've done a lot of different sports, haven't you? Is this, is this the one you've stuck at the longest then? Do you, see, do you see yourself sticking at this, you know, into the future as well, like your, your kind of last athletic venture? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I've done stuff for a couple, like basketball, I played for a few years at school a lot. They rug boxing for almost two years. I was in free running and parkour for two or three years. Um, played a proper full, just over a season of rugby, like being into it. But I was always kind of wanted something that I thought, right, I'll find something. And this is the one I think I'll stick at competitively. And I knew it was going to be an individual sport. I wasn't quite sure what it was, but strongman, it's, it's definitely my thing now. It's going to be my thing till. I retire. I'll probably do stuff when I'm older, but that'll be more for fun. This is well, here's a question for you then, because for uh, obviously not not everybody believes you. I do, but here we go. You've been competing for a long time, you strong man. You're doing lifts and competing in like a level that most people take peds. You've done like it's like a 200 push press, a 360-ish dead, 370 dead, is it? 370 dead, yeah. That's yeah. Probably- so your numbers are really, really, really good, and you're natural. Like, what is your view on peds? Like, do you do you just don't want to take them? Do you just feel like you can get stronger naturally? Do you have some kind of long-term plan to maybe um, really push it for a couple of years? Or what's what's your thoughts on this? I know a lot of people will be interested. Yeah, um, yeah. For, well, for the ones that do believe me, uh, I. It's not something I really want to do myself. I'm not kind of like, I've never smoked a cigarette, so the idea of drugs, it's always been a bit of a, like, so all that's a bit. you basically. Like, yeah, I'm a bit boring. Like, <laughs> like, I'm just proper boring. It seems a bit like, well, that's a bit naughty. But really, it's just kind of... <laughs> <laughs> really, um, I just kind of want... It was never a massively conscious thing. I just didn't take him. And then now it's like, I oh, just want to see what you can do without... Um, and it's kind of fun. It's a challenge for me. Like a lot of guys take loads of stuff, and it's fine. And you can be and you can be with the strongest man, and that's great. But I kind of want to just, I just want to see. It, it's interesting. It's a, it's a challenge, and it and it takes away some of the obviously some of the traits you can get, and it just makes you think more and have to think your way around things and approach things a little bit differently. And I just love that side of it, the the figuring out the strategy. It's still a pretty new sport, so like with some of the stuff you're doing, Josh, with like the high frequency deadlifts, like people haven't worked out everything for strongman yet. Um, like you see, world strongest man winners that haven't got a rack position on the shoulders. You know, what I mean, the sport's still pretty new, so it's kind of cool being part of that thing where let's try and figure out some some new ways to train, some new methods. And uh, oh, I can't see you. You look like Martins and stuff, though. Martins. Uh... Is he's got a, quite a decent rack off the top of my head, hasn't he? And he's quite athletic, and he applies some different training strategies. Yeah, I, I think I think he's a great example of like the new, the new kind of age of. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, he's a big guy, but he's very athletic and explosive and technical, and um, values different energy system development. And yeah, I think. Yeah, um... Kale mentioned because there was a video of him slacklining, and I always get a lot of grief for like doing uh, gymnastics type stuff. But when we're on about being adaptable earlier, Kale Beck made a good point. Him slacklining at 106 kilos is probably a better indication of being a good strongman than how much you can incline dumbbell bench because that's not like yeah. 
that's not the be all and end all. It's being able to move around and have that kinesthetic awareness and just be a good athlete. I think that's missed a lot, especially in the Opens, not so much in the weight classes. So here's my thing though, in my head, is if I was you, I'd be thinking if I smash gear for a year, I'd fucking smoke everyone. <laughs> that never cross your mind. Oh, it crosses my mind, but I feel like, yeah, I don't. Like two hundred push press natural, I tell you, is a rare feat, a rare feat because the, just the way peds work and all the androgen receptors and all that bullshit, it, it is just like a quick pressing hack. No matter what anybody says, it's a quick pressing hack. It doesn't work so much when you're dead and you squat and stuff, but. You'll add 20 kilos to that push press in one fucking cycle of nothing. So it always baffles me. Like, I'm thinking, but yeah, this guy's got this huge potential. And I'm like, why doesn't he, like, because it's an untested sport. And I'm like, surely you must be thinking to yourself, I could turn this into a full time career where I train full time, make loads of money, doing the shit I love. But there's this little uh, conscious decision I've got to make and just go against my morals a little bit. So I never like, never think about that at night. I do a little, I'm not a lie. Like, it does pop up, but I think like, I've been to Worlds naturally at 23. And I'm like, I, I, I'm, I'm having a good go at this. I want to, I want to see it through to the court. I feel like if I jumped on gear now, I'd be like, you didn't see what you could do. Yeah, I, know, you, I know a lot of people think waste your prime, Paul. Yeah, but my pri- I'll probably like naturally if I'm if I can stay injured, my prime's probably in ten years. So it's like I've, I've got I've still got forever to get stronger. I, everyone rushes now. Everyone wants to be like the best in the world and, and the greatest and the, yeah, the twenty four and the one. Hey, and to be fair, like I, I, see, I see him train on Saturdays and he does fuck up anyway. Like he he's not, <laughs> not going to be hard to recover from. So he's going to be able to do that for years. So if he's getting better doing that, then. Uh, Agreed. Yeah, I guess it depends how you view training because I always think I always think of prime. Only joking, Paul. So, I always think of prime of like twelve years into ten to twelve years into when you'd say you seriously started training. Um, that's how I have seen because that's like Mark Felix is a great example as well. Like he's fucking old as fucking he, but he only started training at I don't know forty or whatever. So he's managed to keep getting stronger into his later years but I don't I don't think I've ever seen an athlete who's started you know training at 20 progress with load into his you know early 40s uh, just anecdotally from what I've seen this is not like oh, I completely get you but it's injuries isn't it if you can stay injury free and like you say if you are smashing a load of gear in it from 20 like you are going to cut cut that down I think the extra loads you've got and the yeah kind of supra-physiological, all that bullshit words, you, you're putting more strain on than you're going to recover from. It's going to cut you short. So it's one of them things with me. I'm I'm not sure when people ask about limits and stuff. I'm not sure. I don't know guys that have got that far and then and then not gone on peds. Um, now, now I think about it, I, I, I understand your point of view. I understand it. I get it. And it I think also as well, like, t- take it, taking the piss aside, Paul, like, um, I think the, the stuff that, you value within your training in in terms of like I don't know how you describe it or whatever, but when you're not when you're not training for a comp, you do you seem to do like loads of what people call like GPP stuff or you you just you do like general general stuff where you 
where you you're moving multiplayer, you you you're doing you're moving in different directions. You you're um, you're doing different energy systems. You 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 play a little bit. I think that's a a valuable thing for longevity. I mean, like like you'll do stuff where you just like have a bit of fun with it. Like yeah, definitely, definitely train for longevity. I yeah, think so. and and I think I think that's like a re- a really valuable thing. Like if it, you you know like you said to me about like oh we'll go and play go and have a game of tennis or something like. So some people would be thinking about that. Oh yeah, but oh, what about my knees? Or what about oh yeah, my twisting in my back or whatever. Like, whereas I, I, I think that it's um, could you on about your knees there, Josh? No, because no. obviously, <laughs> obviously I'm that I play tennis with these <laughs> Honestly, I'm a little obviously I'm a little bit biased because this is something that I hugely value in terms of when I'm not peaking for a comp per se. Like I value getting a broad array of skills, like all kind of different aspects of fitness, if you will. Um, and I do believe that that's building this kind of tremendous base that every time I peak is going to be better and I'm going to be able to do it for longer. That's what I believe anyway. And like Shane, Shane we talk about it quite a bit where, where you, you value it in a lot of people that... Um, building an aerobic base like how many how many people like how many t- your typical meathead who can't fucking do who d- does a say five by five at fucking 70 percent of the max or whatever and then that's the session because they're fucked afterwards and they need like 10 minutes rest in between sets like with, with most strongmen i use that heart shock as kind of what i call in my head a um, baseline strongman fitness like i want them to be able to do this three by three with a sandbag or keg that is similar to what you're using comp like 100 120 whatever it is for your weight class with this set rest this is your protocol if they can't do that then you're not fit enough for for a strong man uh, and then obviously we work on it and get them to that point um so and i think that has a huge benefit um not just for you know the general fitness in doing like rep events and stuff, but for recovery over the week and oh, it's everything. crazy, isn't it? It's absolutely crazy. Like I, I've got a client. I won't name him on here, right? And it's been absolute madness. Um, when I started training him, he was like similarish numbers to me. And then I'm writing his program, and he's just saying to me that he can't recover, and I'm like, fucking hell, you're doing like fucking. You're doing three exercises, like really low volume, really quite moderate intensity. Like you basically, you're not going to get, you're not going to get any, you're going to, you plateaued. You're not going to get any stronger because you haven't got like, you haven't got a base that you can actually recover from. We can't actually put anything juicy in his program because he's not going to be able to fucking recover from it. We can't do like a, like a, we couldn't do like a proper like linear basic strength phase, like adding a little bit of weight each week because it, it's just going to fucking die. So credit to him, like we've we've done like say what we've called like an aerobic block or whatever. Basically, he's just done fucking the exercise that he wants to do, but just lighter, lighter than he's ever done before for a ridiculous what seems like a ridiculous amount of volume. For he's done that for whatever an eight-week little block, and then he's come back to doing his uh, like strength work that he really enjoys, like hyper, and he just can't believe that he can he can like he's he's deadlifting twice a week, he- pretty heavy. 
he's he's uh, doing overhead twice a week, pretty heavy. He's doing squats in there that he was just doing for only managing fifty percent, uh, at like say a couple of months ago because he wouldn't have just wouldn't been able to recover from it. Um, anyway, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, but but like I think do that, you, that's that's kind of clients. Do you get them to do? aerobic little blocks or do you add in, I know you like doing your random gymnastics and shit. Do you get your clients to try and branch out and do different sports or movements and stuff? It depends. So conditioning blocks. Yeah. I mean, I did a condition. I've got a big long thing to go on, but I'll go into it after this. Um, I did a conditioning block over lockdown. So I knew right comps are going to be far away. Um, I thought now was a good time. Stay away from everybody. I think it'd be four or five, five, six weeks really working on kind of, a little bit of aerobic stuff, a lot of anaerobic stuff and really pushing it hard, hard enough that it'd take away from my heavy lifts for a while, but that was a focus. Um, so I will put blocks in like that for my clients. Normally do four-week blocks, say if they've had a big comp or a really heavy strength phase and if I think they need it. The other movement stuff, I do, but it's a case of buying in. And if I've got a guy that's really dedicated, I think, right, he's going to do what I tell him. A lot of my guys, I think they're not, they're not going to do it. And if they're doing strongman for fun, they might not be bothered about doing all that extra work. So it, it just depends on how dedicated and, and what someone's yeah. after. If someone's really on it and like, I want to compete internationally, then I'll get them to do more of the advanced stuff and well, more advanced, the different stuff and really think LTAB and, and build them up. But for some guys, it's, I think they're not going to want to do it and they're not, it's not as close to their goals as what they want to do. So I'll just, I'll, with some guys I will, some guys I won't. Yeah. And by the way, right, this is this is a credit to your, uh, and we, we'll, we can talk about your coaching, by the way, in a minute. And this is credit credit to you as a coach, like what you were saying there, as like it will depend on the it will depend on the athlete completely what 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 kind of approach that you take and um, psychology, whether you think they're in it long term or whatever, or whether they're just having it, whatever. And this is a thing that me and Shane talk about quite a bit, like. With our clients, our programs are com- like are just completely unique, and yeah. we, which we can it can see that that you obviously value you with with people you teach, and um, and I ju- I just think having f- forget all the fucking fancy words and shit, right? Having somebody there like one of us three who is going to be versatile as a coach with that coach athlete relationship, and we're gonna we're go- we're actually gonna be respondent to what the athlete wants and needs is is just is just so important and and invaluable like you're you're not just going to be oh paul uh oh how much do you charge for coaching uh can you send me a program i'm doing a novice comp in six weeks or whatever and then you an hour later you've sent me a fucking like a spreadsheet with all everything on that you've just used with someone before like which you get with a lot of people don't you yeah, I think like a lot of the, I don't, I'm not naming names specifically, but I've heard a lot of the more well-known guys, athletes-wise, and I've heard that they're, the program's like, they've got this method and they're going to send it. And and to me, I don't like that. I think, I think yeah. once I did send someone a very similar, I think it was a hypertrophy block, and I didn't make many changes because they were pretty much the same age, build weight, goals, and they both went to a hypertrophy block. But that, that hurt me a little bit, like not doing everything completely uh, 
kind of bespoke. But um, yeah, there's there's so many different training methods and, and variables and with how people are and lifestyles, how much they're working, how much they're training, how old they are. So you need to adapt and you need different things. A 19-year-old training seven times a week at uni is going to be different to a 50-year-old joiner who's got four kids and he can train for four hours a week. And, you know, you've just got to, uh, you've got to play it to the person. And yeah. I think it's just the experience of... And, and don't get me wrong. Like, I, th I think there is a time and a place where, like, say, the, the three of us will use, you know what, this block, this four-week block here has worked so well for fucking person x right i'm gonna i'm gonna get so somebody so and so so and so to run that at the minute because yeah. i think that is so relevant to what we're trying to achieve and th that's a bit of a difference it's not a case of oh well, i'm comp six weeks out <clears> here's here's your, here's your plan or whatever that's actually in my opinion that's actually fucking really really smart coaching is like because yeah, we undulate as well because we check in with them every couple of weeks or whatever even if they're on, the, even if they start on the same block, and it's like, even if they get the exact same thing, you know, at the start, when I update them in two weeks, if their feedback is completely different, it kind of like branches off in its own direction anyway. So sometimes, if you've got your baseline structure there, yeah. it kind of personalizes and bespokes itself with just how it goes, kind of thing. That's yeah. a good point. So it's all an experiment, isn't it? Like every client, you'll I say to my guys, like, I'll give you better results in the second year you're with me than the first year. And like the first few months, sometimes it goes amazingly perfectly, but it might take a couple of blocks to really zone in on what on what works. Learn what, yeah, there's so it's so multi-dimensional, isn't it? Like that. Yeah, I love it, mate. It's fucking class. Yeah, it's, it's f f absolutely brilliant. Like, like, like I. I yeah. Like I've had, you know, your high frequency deadlift plan. I had Dan Foskett run it and another client, uh, Nick Hill. And, and um, they both ran it at the same time. Dan's went really well and he, he doubled his PB, but then he didn't, he didn't get his max. He failed his max. He doubled his PB? Bloody hell. Yeah, I'm fucking hacks. But then um, he didn't get a max because he just he just didn't go too well on the day but nicks went really well and he responded you know class to the high frequency stuff and again those two started it at the same time but the progressions as they went on um dan just adapted really well to it at the start so he linearly progressed really well whereas nick i actually had to pull him back for a couple of weeks he was like struggling to deadlift 130 on uh, you know the fourth fourth deadlift day but then when it kind of flipped round towards the end of the cycle, Nick ended up with a better, um, you know, max result. So again, it just it could go either way, and it fascinates me because you sometimes yeah. you think this is going really well, and it just yeah, you might you might think like so people say to me. So that's the thing that I've been getting recently. People say to me, "Oh yeah, the, that high frequency thing that you're doing with a lot of people, like oh yeah, but I have to deadlift five times a week, don't I?" And I'm like, "No, no. Well, if if we think it's relevant to your like, if you want to just specialize in that and." put everything on the back burner like like some people coach do then then yeah we could afford to do that we could you could um you could afford to do it um <laughs> <Nine eight>. ah. <laughs> you could afford to do it twice a day if if um if we thought it was relevant 
but some people you might use those like the same number shane and you could use them like <laughs> there he goes <laughs> you could do it like three three times in a week or whatever it's just completely uh, yeah exa exactly and, that, and that's what that's where a coach is valuable like one of us guys is like we um it's not about having these kind of things to throw in like it's about knowing where like it's about no, like you could you could use like fucking Wendler's five three one or something, yeah. And we could we could what we're doing is giving that context, if you will, and and like right, we're going to do a block of that because that's at where we're assigning its relevance. If that makes, I'm not explaining it fucking very well, but that no, in, I get, I get you. In my, I get in, what you're trying to say. The way I would say it is like if I if I give someone if I just copied five three one, but yeah. wrote the weights myself it'd be better than the actual one online because there might be one week where I'm like, oh, it says to do this, but I'm going to deload him a little bit. I'm going to give him a bit of a break. And then the next week, I'm going to go in the head. Just like little undulating things like that work. Because when you set a plan out for eight weeks on the trot, you don't know what the hell's going to happen on week six to go into week seven. And if week seven's like, like the Ed Cohen deadlift routine, for example, probably a famous one. Like week seven or eight is like a massive double. I think it makes you double your current PB or something. But if 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 that double was there the week before, I would tell them to take it the week before. Yeah, I, I agree with this. I agree with this. Um, and and by the way, this is where like some of my my clients who are newer newer to me like give me get a bit of stick for like oh how come we don't have fucking what like what when do, when do i get a deload when do i get a deload or whatever like in my in my opinion it'd be interesting to know what you two you two think uh, i've never really read about it or thought about it or whatever but my my belief is that assuming that we're not peaking for a comp and we're just generally getting better and stronger like when you when you like say checking in with someone each week and and uh, and adapting each week, like my belief is that we don't we don't ever need like a fucking a week deload kind of thing because we're up, we're identifying when something is getting say for instance you, we're doing we're progressing everything deadlift overhead whatever and then week three of this eight week block or whatever deadlift is getting tough like. In my opinion, like what I do is like, well, we, we take we take a little deload that without calling it a deload, we can take we we take a deload the following week, and then we we might have something like say run an eight week linear block of overhead or something like log, and then you're at week eight, and then thinking that oh well, we're gonna have a but but if if the if if it if it's still progressing, why can't we milk that further? Like and I don't think you need to deload everything. I think the big mistake is people deload everything. Yeah, like, that's what I mean. Like. Just need like maybe just pull the yoke back, and that's way that's loads of recovery for the the rest of the week to go well. Or the, like I said, the dead like the high the high recovery demanding stuff, you know, the heavy stuff. Just one of them pulled back can make a huge difference over a week. The only time I deal with like a full week or something is like obviously like pre comp or something. But again, like post comp, I don't really deal with people post comp either because, in my opinion, they're recovered from the deload into the comp and then they've just done a couple of events. There's the way I look at it. So I'll try and get them back in the gym Tuesday, usually a bit lighter, but I'll try and get them back in the gym. 
Uh, whereas a lot of people take a week off after a comp, and I, I don't really think, especially like powerlifting, like you don't need that after a powerlifting comp. No, not after a powerlifting, mate. Not definitely not. Um, if you've I done like that after days, comp, though, like Paul, if you've done a fucking free day, obviously that's a bit different. But yeah, I'm taking a week off after this. It's last comp of the year, and the UK is like a particularly brutal comp. But yeah, I like guys to do a reduced week after a comp, but just get back into it. I want them to be in a spot where the following Monday they can hit it 100. percent um, a lot of guys have a week off and then they kind of half get back into it and they just get a bit lazy and a bit out of the routine so I want to get them like a couple yeah. of days off my, get my, back to what, what I like um, post comp and actually and, and actually comp week to be honest like I, I actually like people to keep the keep the consistency and just take a massive intensity and volume deload and um and don't get me wrong, some people just prefer uh, prefer to have the four, five, six days rest, and that's absolutely fine. But if I'm like kind of completely in control of the client, like I think there's quite a lot of value in keeping consistent with the normal training days and just basically where you where say for instance you 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 you're peaking for a max deadlift or something like that, coming in and doing doing some um, maybe like say six singles at 50, 50 to 55% or something like that, where you're practicing going through your exact ritual that you're going to use on the day, where you're wearing your belt, you're practicing your foot stance, you're practicing your breathing and stuff like that. Um, what, what do you do pre-comp, Paul? Myself? Um, yeah, yourself. Because just the reason I'm asking is, anecdotally, for me, I like and have found that the bigger open guys need and just seem to benefit more. Like, for example, I don't know if you've seen Big James Will pull 400 of a day. I yeah. give him, like, 10 days rest. And I know Hicksy loves, like, eight, nine days rest into a comp. And it always you're, – you're the anomaly to me because you're the one who, when I look at open athletes in a line, I see you and I think much higher aerobic capacity, natural – does different blocks of training, generally GPP phase and stuff. And I always think, do you kind of deload into a comp more like a lightweight athlete rather than a standard open? Yeah, so say say I've got a comp Saturday, one day comp. I'll do my last event session the previous Saturday and I'll go pretty heavy, but I'll knock the volume back. Um, and I might push one exercise and, and go fairly steady on two events, but I'll still go fairly heavy. Um, and then Monday and Wednesday, I'll do like gym sessions. I'll do like a power clean, a front squat, an overhead. Um, you do a bit of plyometrics. I think I seen you jumping around, didn't I, the other day? Oh, yeah. I always do some kind of jumping. Um, just it's just a good primer, don't fatigue you. I'll do kind of up to like eight, 75, 80% for a triple on the Monday or a few triples, and then cut that down to maybe do 70%. 75%. On what, what exercises is this? So normally kind of front squat, some kind of overhead that I'll do in the comp. Um, I'll probably do a deadlift on the Monday. That will be light. That might be a few singles at 60%. I'll cut that back a lot more. Um, and then I might do like three eights bent over rows really light, just something to get every kind of muscle group firing and some jumps. Um, the Wednesday I do like, say I might do front squat, log press. I might do a few singles at 70%. Uh, I might do like three eights pull-ups, some jumps, a little bit of core work just to keep that kind of more for a postural reason than anything. And then, and then that's me a couple of days off and then, uh, right. Cool. On the Saturday. Interesting. 
Yeah, I don't know what the trend is, but I, I um, think um, a thing for the uh, like week after comp, right? I, I think that there are quite a few people susceptible to like post comp blues, and even if they do well, yeah. fucking the the they do shit or whatever. Like that kind of build up to like such a big thing mentally can be like it can almost be like there's something missing and there's a gap. Um, and I just think if, if, um, I just think if you're having like, say a week off, like a week from the gym, I think it's, I think it, it's a lot easier for people to slip into the slip out of the routine. Like we said before. So, um, you know, like say for instance, like, and this is a thing like, because this is how I think myself. Like that's why I'll I'll always try and train on a Monday after after a comp, and do do something. It might be because I deadlift on Monday. It might be like fucking eight threes at fifty percent or something like that. Um, but for me, it's about the habit of keep like turning up to the gym and keeping in that routine and keeping mentally focused and almost reset like resetting my goals rather than. I don't, I, I don't know. What What do you guys think? I'm I think always straight um, back in the gym after a comp. Me, I I just feel like I like like I purposely force myself to do it like more for like the mental aspect of just part of my day, Josh. It fucking gets to that time where it's time to train, and I'm like, right, I'm gonna go to the gym. <laughs> so I just go, and it just the only the only time I stay away from it is if I've got a comp. I I know I'm not. I feel like my job is to rest so I don't even cross my mind but when the comp's out of the way I, I'm like right come on let's... even when I tore my hamstring at body power I went in the gym the next day and bench just because I was like yeah. just wanted to bench I, yeah I suppose I've, I've, I've seen quite a few people fall into the trap of like the the, 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 the they might do the first comp or sec, second comp whatever and then they come in and then they're like oh yeah oh, I'll give myself a week off rest and then they kind of fall out fall out of it and yeah, if you if they had a week off before as well, they've basically done one thing in two weeks. That's why I don't like. Yeah, that. and th- and then they come back to like if they do come in the next week and they back resume the normal training and they're like, "Fuck me, this is hard." But they detrain, they get doms for four days, and then they're just like, "Oh, do we what do we want?" I don't know. Be interested to see what people think. But but again, it goes back to what if we're coaching clients, it goes back to what Paul said um, about. Um, like it's got to be individual, hasn't it? Like if you were coaching me, Paul, I t- I tell you this, and um, what do you do after my comp on Sunday? You get me back in the gym Monday, get me maybe doing some stuff that I enjoy, some playing about with some light stuff, and then I message you on Monday night saying, "Oh fuck me, mate, I feel so much better for doing something, whatever." Whereas you might have somebody who who who's actually more suited to you know that they're going to come back the following week or whatever. And I don't know. But it's just yeah, so, everybody's individual, isn't it? So for me, like, it's a function thing. Like, so I normally have to come, but we'll get back in the gym. With UK, it's like a week. I like to train. A week off will benefit me now. It's been a really hard comp, heavy. It's the end of the season. It's time for a chill. But then, like Shane saying, I've torn my hamstring. Like, to me, torn your hamstring. But to not bench then, is there's no reason not to, like, all right, you can't train the hamstring, but you'll go in and, and adapt your training. So it's just uh, right. I can. I need to swap my swap my goals around. Going to bench. I think newer guys when it's like, oh, I'll do a comp, and then the lifestyle's not 
too into it. They're like, oh, I have a week off, and then it becomes 10 days, and they're struggling to back into the gym. So for guys like that, I'd be like, right, a couple of days off, you're back in. Even if it's doing really light stuff, it just gets them back into that routine. For someone where it's more of a professional thing, it's like, right, I just need yeah. to, whatever's going to be optimal for my recovery. Fuck enjoying it. I'll enjoy it when I'm back. If I need to rest, if I need to rest, if I think I'm good and to go, I'll get back in. And, and it's just kind of what what's going to be best overall and long term. Yeah, and I think it like goes back to like the actual like you're saying about the UK's being this big cut. Like for example, like if Josh has done this inter- intermediate comp and then he's done England's and then he's done Brits or whatever, I probably wouldn't expect him to have a week off after that or even think about it but I know is one of his big goals is to go to OSU Worlds so like if Josh did OSU Worlds I'd probably say to him like mate you've not had a week off ever let's you've done this comp you've performed well let's just fucking chill out for a week because you kind of like earned it almost and it's just oh yeah to get that yeah and, and you know what I agree with that but I suppose what I, I was thinking about this today in the car because I'm fucking sad right thinking about shit like this. But I was just thinking that, that like most people don't actually work that hard for long enough to actually benefit from, to actually get a real benefit from that. What do you think? Or yeah. Uh, being a cock with that. Well, <laughs> there's that famous uh, diet thing that people say in there where nutritionist people say, um, our clients always say to me, when's my first cheat meal? And they say, motherfucker you've been having a cheat meal for the last six months you don't need one for the next year <laughs> and i kind of think that sometimes when people ask me for a deload i'm like i've doubled your volume and you're doing all these events now you've been deloading for the last year you're not deloading you're working yeah i like that i like i like that fits in really well doesn't it um fuck, what was i gonna say i fucking lost my train of thought someone else talk i've gone my brain's gone Right, move on, move on to the next thing. So, um, when are you getting new shoes, Paul? I've got some new shoes. Those shoes are for the garden. When the garden's done, I'll put them in the bin. But there's no point buying new shoes to go in the garden, getting full of shit. Because <laughs> this garden <laughs> never gets done. <laughs> and then Shannon had to finish it, and then Shannon's like, oh, do that bit as well, and then do this, and then do this. And then it's like, sorry, sorry. <laughs> We've baited him again, mate. One each, though. We've got a fucking <laughs> second emotional response. I wish people could see your face there, mate. Fuck me. <laughs> oh. all, I, all I get is shoes. All I get is fucking shoes. I'm on telly and all people talk about is my fucking shoes. Where are they UK's? Uh, what do you say? I said, did you wear them at UK's? And I was... Shannon had all the shit with her. So my suitcase was packed. If I had a, if I had half a kilo, I'd have packed my shoes. <laughs> I'd have put them on for the power stairs as well. <laughs> so Paul, for the listeners, can you explain the story about the shoes? Oh, it's a, oh. I, I'm only joking. We'll fucking move on. <laughs> so, uh, so, um, so, so like we'll we'll go back to the farmers thing. You know, you did the canisters and. You, you you struggled with them or whatever and you found it difficult like how did you how did you get better at that I know you went like how did you get better at it so I mean I got the gas I got the gas cylinders uh, I got some off uh, Mr. Kevin Coyles who you'll all know from uh, being a dickhead on Facebook yep trolling everyone um, trolling everyone so 
They were like 100-ish empty. So I started doing quite a lot of volume, really light, 100 kilos, just getting used to moving with them. Uh, nothing too hard. Then I'd do a couple of turns with them, getting used to turning the hands. Then I'd build up the weight. So I kind of do 120, I think 130, 140, 150, like building up each week. Uh, I think I did a couple of weeks around 150. And then I wanted to kind of test it. And I thought 180 kilos of hand on those would be like, if I did that, I'd kind of be there. And I did that. I did about 15 meters. That was awful. But I'd proper just muscle my way through that. And then after that, it felt like anything lighter, I've got a good handle on. I've really absolutely smashed. So did you do any grip assistance or just literally the farmers for that? And and what cues would you give, by the way, to for people coming up with um, heavy farmers round a cone? Um, so, got two questions for you there. What assistance and um, what cue? Oh, so um, grip wise, I didn't do any assistance. Like, my grip's strong. I've did, I did a 250 hand pickup like four years ago. So, just holding a farmer statically wasn't an issue. It was the right, okay. it was a speed with them and hitting off my legs. It was a trouble. Um, it's like when I, when I fucked up at the comb, I think I held it longer than anyone. I just wasn't, I wasn't going. Um, so to get on to the second question, I think the big thing is practice and the frequency, like t- doing the turn is something you've got to work on and you've, there's an art to it. Um, a good thing to do is keep your short steps moving. Don't just like kind of pivot on the spot. You've got to keep walking. Um, trying to point farmers together and make them into one unit is helpful for some people. Trying to brace the outside leg against the outside farmers as you turn can be useful. But I think it's just doing it a lot, getting a lot of repetitions in. Don't focus so much on the actual carry. Really hammer that so turn. There. So when you're turning, you like to touch the front together. Is that right? So, yeah, if you touch the tips together, you're essentially making it to one unit. So imagine if you're doing a turn on the frame. What do you say? I said that's interesting. I've not heard that before. That's good. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, it's it's not as common anymore, but it's a bit of an older one. Like It used to be really common event, farmers for distance, to make it to one unit, and then you haven't got two bouncing against each other. Sometimes you can't do it, but that's a good one. And then you just want to figure out a way to stabilize them as much as possible, whether that's bracing it against yourself, bracing against each other, and practice uh, and just really hammer that turn. Um, The more you do it, the more comfortable you'll get. But don't just think, oh, I'm fast, so I'll turn up on the day. I'll I'll monger it, and then I'll be all right. Because if it's anything ever, it won't do it. That's the trap a lot of people fall into, don't they? Like We think, oh, farmer's event, or round a cone or whatever. Got a turn in there, right? Uh, oh, my grip's good, so I'll go like Max Farmers, and they'll just do a lot of people just do drop and turn, and they might try a turn once and think, oh fucking hell, this is hard. I'll I'll, I'll be all right on the day, kind of thing. Whereas, I suppose taking the approach of being really specific with it, like all all these kind of cues that you're saying are fantastic, but th- this is the kind of stuff that you just find out by fucking just doing yourself, isn't it? Like, if you 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 get somebody a decent working load where they can go and practice <clears throat> 10, 12 turns in a session for once or twice a week, depending on how they've like ten. Well, seconds. you had farmers around the comb, didn't you? Recently, oh, uh, yeah. and, um, I remember showing you a few videos of Johnny Mills going around the cone and showing you how he did it. And you said, I'll practice that way. And then about two weeks later, I remember you just said, look, I fucking figured out my own way. I'm doing it this way. So it's like you say, just doing it, you'll find. Yeah, well, that, that, 
that that's my like i'm i'm a fan of being very specific and if i need if i need to um do do it frequently like i'm a, i'm a massive fan of for skill acquisition on any exercise i would rather spread the volume over like to to like over the course of a week like people think oh you do loads of volume whereas actually i just I just spread the volume out that a lot of people would do over one or two sessions over the course of a week, if that makes sense. I think that with split training, because people say, oh, I do fucking back on chest, you know, when you do chest and you do full body splits, it's like, often you're doing the same amount of work, but if you're doing each press and variation fresh, exactly compared to doing a fresh in, an incline bench when you, you're at four, like you, you, you're fucked, it, it just, it's a no-brainer to me. For, for most of the time for a strength athlete, there yeah. are exceptions. So, so from a force production standpoint, you, you're getting this kind of neurological training, fresh, like you say, but, but also for me, from a skill acquisition stand, standpoint, the psychological aspect of doing something at the start of your session um, is just, is just com- like when you can focus, when you come in and you, 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 you can focus on something, you can think about fucking intricacies for 20 minutes. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're thinking about fucking uh, doing a thing that you shit at skill wise, like say a farmer's turn or something, and you're doing it two and a half hours into your session when you've done fucking max effort deadlift and you've done a load of very like, like how many of us have, have been that deep into a session and you just think, ah, fucking hell, I'm just going to go and eat or I'll, I'll do some extra work on Wednesday or whatever. Whereas yeah, actually yeah. you're just coming in and you're thinking, right, I'm fucking ready. I almost, I almost think about it, stuff that I'm shit at like for a, for a comp prep, I almost think in my head, right, this is my main session, but I've got to cash in by, I've got to cash in by doing this first. So for my main sessions, whatever, axle floor to overhead. But for me, like I, I often cash in with my uh, deadlifts to start off with because I'm still shit at that really compared to other stuff. So, so that's like my cash in. I don't even think about it as a... Uh, I, I love doing light. I, I love doing lighter stuff before my main lift. I don't know why. I feel like it, I feel like I get, I don't know. I feel like I get like stimulated more and then let my, for example, I pulled three and three the other day. I did speed safety bar squat first. Um, And I felt like when I pulled my first 70 kilo, it felt like nothing. And then 120 felt like nothing. Whereas if I'd have gone into just 70, I know I'd have been like, oh, fucking hell you know, my back or whatever. And like my log, I, I always bench before a log, which people always tell me is weird because I should be tired for log, but it just feels better. My rack position feels strong. Mm. And obviously I don't kill myself on the bench, but I just feel like this little first exercise where I can go in, I'm a bit yawny and a bit fucking not up for it. So I've got a little thing for you, Shane, to add on to that. So a little caption, activate, don't annihilate. Yeah. So that's, that's, some fucking, that, that's, uh, that's a good that Graham Hicks quote, isn't it? <laughs> that's a good point, but I always think, like I said at UK, I'd rather be a bit, a little bit fatigued and too warmed up and really primed than kind of underactive and, and fresh. I'd rather be like, because if you say you're 3% fatigued and you're really on it, you're drilled in, everything's firing. But if, you, if you're kind of 20% not warmed up, you know what I mean? It's... it's uh, you're unlikely to really tie yourself out too much unless you really overdo it. Yeah. It's easy to be underprepared. I agree with this, right? And I th- 
I just think for me, I don't know whether it's just me, but I just find that um, I just take longer to get to this point. Like, for example, on my bench, like I said, like before I logged 160, I did 155 by five, which is not hard for me at all. But my first set didn't feel fast or good. And my last set, I was just fucking nailing those little cunts. And I felt like I'm ready to log now. And then when I got on the log, as soon as I cleaned it, it just felt perfect in rack. Everything was, my triceps felt strong and the weight felt light. Whereas I know if I'd have gone and done that log without benching, after I'd have cleaned it, I know I'd have got fucking mauled by it. And that's just something I've learned over time training, really. I don't know how, but yeah. I yeah, I think that's um, a thing from other that I've got from other sports. Like when I train with my mate Ben, he's a bobsledder, and we do uh, we do a lot of like med ball throws and sprint sessions. And he'll do a big, long, active warm up. And it's funny because it, it's not too bad for me because it's strong. Mouth is a condition element. When I'm doing it with my mate like with bobsledder and an Olympic lift, they're blowing a bit, and uh, it's quite hard. But then the fr- then they're ready. It's like a lot of strongman. You'll go into something. You're not sweating. You're not out of breath, and, and you trying to do it really hard but most sports you'll see guys they'll, they'll be out of breath they look like they've worked before they go into it and I think that's something that's missing I think it's just a bit of laziness often yeah Josh, Josh does it every Friday he does events I see him doing a couple of sets of deadlift or whatever light and then he goes picks a dumbbell up or something and you can just tell by the way the dumbbell moves that even though he's not been pressing his nervous system's just ready to lift and it just looks like he picks up nothing. Whereas if he'd have gone over to that dumbbell proper cold first thing, I, I know it'd look different. Um, yeah, I agree with that. And an, an example for the listeners, right? A thing that you can try yourself that is just so fucking simple. Like if you pick, say, say something like a yoke or a farmer's walk, for instance, like say, say for instance, let's let's take take like an inters level farmer's walk, right? Say you're Say your event is 120, whatever, 15 meters drop and turn. So in training, you you might do three sets of 90 meters, which three sets of 90 kilos for whatever, 40 meters or whatever the distance, right? That wouldn't be too difficult. So record your times and don't be surprised if you get to your third set and it's the fastest. And that's I just, often do this with 520s, and normally third or fourth is the best, and then it'll have kind of one drop off a little bit, but it yeah. generally goes down, goes down, goes down before it starts. Basically, to... basically we're proving that, that, that you get into that, you're finding that actual level where, you, where you're actually, you're going into that third set and you're feeling a bit sweaty, a bit out of breath, like you've just said, maybe. Um, but you primed, you potentiated all this shit, all the fucking Olympic words. Forget, forget yeah, okay. Forget all the post-activation potentiation bullshit. Like, like it's just you, you, you your times will be better. Yeah? yeah. That's why I do bag throw on a Friday because it's just such a simple thing. I just throw, I throw that bag over the thing about 20 times. And by the 10th throw, it's going twice as high. And I'm like, right, whenever I decide to move on, I'm... I'm ready, and it's only it takes fucking five minutes to to do that. that. That's why that's why I'll do comp weight at a comp, as in the warm up, and I'll do do like fucking say at England's three hundred, what, through like whatever it was three hundred yoke, and did like a full length every like other pe- 
people are looking at me like I'm mad. Oh, you're gonna, oh, you're gonna fatigue yourself, save yourself, whatever. And I'm like, no, I'm gonna be faster. Yeah, absolutely. and I was doing it, doing it with the, doing it with the farmers as well. And um, as long as you, as long as you're good at that weight, we should probably say <laughs> it's a max. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To me. <laughs> oh yeah. But, but I, I just, I just think of my data in training, and I just think yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, me you, you know, you, you train multiple sets of three hundred on you, so you, you yeah, that, that's it. And I'm like, for fuck's sake, I'm putting max effort. I'm doing that first set, and I'm thinking, fuck me. There is no chance on it. I can't get faster than that. I am. Uh, that was a perfect set technical, what, 22 seconds. I do the next set and I show willing. And for somehow, it'll be 20 seconds or 19 points something. It's mad. Like I haven't done anything technically better, but it's just that kind of potentiation effect. And like, don't be afraid. Like, and again, this is, this is a thing that what the listeners need to do is like it's completely ind- individual. Find out your level where where there's that sweet spot where you where like Paul says you're not you you're getting adequately warmed up and re- like in this state of readiness, but you're just stopping shy of going over that threshold where you're going into fatigue. And I think a lot of people will be surprised at where that where that level is. Yeah, I'd say a good one to try. I like often do before every stuff is overhead squats. I'll go up to like 60, 70, 80 kilos, a few sets of six or eight, and it's light. It's not going to, like, the load is not going to tie you out. It opens everything. It opens shoulders, teeth, spine, hips up. You can't really do that, many sets of that, without feeling warmed up in everything. For most guys, they'll, they'll get the heart rate up a bit because it's quite a hard position to get into, and they'll have to think and work. It's like Olympic lifting if, you, if you're new to it. You've got to think, and it gets your heart, and it gets you uh, warmed up. But you won't be tired. You'll be fine. You've just had to switch yeah. on. And, and I think Shane does this. Um, some kind of more complex movements to warm up. Just gets everything firing, doesn't it? So if you can pick something like that, it'll give you a mobility benefit and the warming up benefit and the activation without too much fatigue. And you'll just feel better afterwards. And, and also it goes back to what we've covered before, like uh, about saying we've done, a, we've done an episode about um, encouraging people to shorten the warm-ups up. They're doing 45-minute warm with bands and rollers and all these different things or whatever and then not actually training that much like because it's obviously time so precious and like doing something like an overhead squat and and almost using the overhead squat as a um right instead of doing like fucking banded distractions open up your hips and all this shit or whatever you're almost using the overhead squat to, to to actually point to right well what what do I feel? Where, oh, my knee's coming in as a as I go overhead, or my thoracic is uh, rounding a little bit. And your overhead squat's just going to tick off fucking everything. Yeah, so, so, so yeah, it's just an all in one, isn't it? So you feel that, and you think, right? Well, I need to activate this right glute a little bit. I'll do a side lying clam, and then I'll do oh foam roll my T spine. Go back to the overhead squat. Fuck me, overhead squat feels brilliant. Um, right, I'm ready, and that's taking you like fucking four or five minutes, and you've used that as a to steer you to what kind of boring shit you need to do rather than actually just doing it for the sake of it. So many people do fucking shit for the sake of it. What do you think, Paul? Or do you encourage Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Depends um, um, on time as well. Like, someone like me, if I've got... I can be in the gym free for if I need to. But if your guy's got 90 minutes in the gym, you've got to be efficient. So if you can be warmed up and ready to go in 15 minutes and be ready to, to hit your work... 15 minutes? 
All right, all right, all right, fair, all right. Ten, five minutes, whatever it is. Three minutes. Don't tell yeah, me. You can cut it down. Three minutes, Paul. Takes me about on a Friday. I'm thinking about twenty minutes of inchworms and press ups and jumps. That's what I do. <laughs> I like to stay. I warm up for about ten or fifteen minutes. But it's but I'm it, taking a fucking bit about someone, and then starts doing doing a bit of bag toss. That's all he does. He just fucking bitches and bag toss. Uh, pretty much, mate. <laughs> you need to get a gossip event session there, don't you? Because you've got all everyone in, you've got all this gossip that's happening. Yeah. You need to fucking accumulate. Twins, I love it. I love it. Got some goss. Twins are always chatting something. Yeah, they're always slagging someone else, someone else off each week, and it? it gets tedious. You know, I still don't know which one's which. I ain't got a fucking Scooby. <laughs> Do you guys? Can you guys tell between them? Because I see them both, and I'm like, I, I can. Yeah, I've, I've got it down. Like, what one's good? One's One's good at deadlift, the other one's got like a fucking... Uh, they've, they've definitely got a different face. Well, I can't fucking... Excuse me, can you deadlift 300 for reps, please? And I'll uh, I'll uh, tell you which one you are. Joe's just got a constant rounded T-spine. So he's... Got... <laughs> oh, fucking hell, dude. Oh, man. Oh, that, that's fucking brutal, man. Um, joking, Joe. Joe's the one with the lovely... Um, sack throwing techniques the one who balances them on the beams that's who he is this is a big help lads thank you thank you for this i'm sure right you look like you throw a sandbag so, <laughs> so, uh, so paul last last thing um i want to ask you to finish off give a bit more value to the to the listeners so you did well on the forward hold the other year didn't you, you you've um Keep on banging on about on Instagram. Fuck me, we're getting some mileage. I fucking hate it because it's such a shit event. It's yeah. such a shit event. Yeah, it's a shit event, but I, I had it last year, I think, three comps. Um, so give me some cues. One of the best cues that you gave me, when because I, I messaged you and I spoke to you about it, I don't know if you remember, <laughs> that Paul said for forward hold was cheat as much as you can. <laughs> I wasn't excited. I was like, I wonder what this is going to be. <laughs> cheat as much as you can. And like literally, that comp where one of the comps last year I did, and I was fucking dog shit, but I won the event. Literally, like, <laughs> can you see the screen? I'm like holding it above my fucking head with my like bicep curl position. <laughs> How do you train foothold then, Paul? Because I'm pretty certain I remember you saying something about liking uh, emoms and stuff. Is that right? You know what? I kind of wish I'd done shit at this event. <laughs> such a yeah, so I did... Um... Well, the thing is, it's good for people because it is a shit event. So people, what they do is when it comes to a comp, they just go... They and don't grab do it because they don't think it counts as much as a fucking log press, do they? Yeah, but they just go grab a plate at the end of a session and they hold it for like as, as long as they can. So give them some guidance as to how to structure it a bit. So, yeah, um, I, tra I trained it more the year before because I knew it was a good event for me, but... Um... I, don't, I can't remember if I came up. I can't remember if I saw someone do it or I came up with it. Or I might have seen someone do a similar event. But yeah, EMOM. So basically, I worked up to... My goal was five lots of 15 seconds EMOM uh, at comp weight with a barbell. Um, and I think before 2018, I managed that. And I was a bit thingy because it, it was really hard. But I thought, I'm failing like 14 seconds, 13 seconds on my last set. I thought, how the fuck am I going to hold it for nearly a minute? But And I was like, no, you, you held it for a while last time. You, you, you're getting better. But because it's such a small muscle group, it's based, people say, oh, it's pain tolerance. It's not. It's, it's your front delt burns a bit. Like It's like doing a, doing a load of press-ups. It's nothing. Um, 
such a small muscle group, it, it's so hard to recover. So you can, it doesn't take much fatigue to build up and your performance will drop. But I found that working that short rest, once I did get to the comp and I just had one set to do, there was just so much there. It was so, it was so much uh, fresher. I did, I think I did one set a, a little bit heavier for a couple, for a few sets. But the main thing was just the EMOMs that can't wait um, and just build them up. Five sets will do you because you'll accumulate so much fatigue. If you can get your front delts used to kind of recovering in that short time, you'll be in a really good spot compared to most guys will just do a set to failure. And you wouldn't do a set to failure every week just on deadlift to train it. So don't do that on the, on the front hold. Yeah. Brilliant. Right. Well, uh, so... Last thing, um, tell, tell us a, bit, a little bit about your coach. I'm putting you on the spot here, mate. Sorry. Uh, but tell us a little bit about your coaching because obviously we've got loads of value having you on as a, as a guest. The listeners have got loads of value in terms of we've, get, we've given them some stuff that they can go and implement. Like, um, tell us a little bit about your, about your business and what you do and do you have any spaces available for coaching and whatnot. Yeah, so uh, I do online coaching like uh, Shane and Josh. Um, I put put them on a hold last few weeks, just getting ready for UKs. Although from next week, I'm going to take a few more guys on. Um, if anyone interested is interested, give me a shout on. So what? What, Instagram your, what is your per, like perfect avatar? What is your ideal avatar? Someone message you and say, "Oh, Paul, I've been I'm inquiring about online coaching. I'm doing this comp or whatever. Like, would you be able to help me? Like." What what really excites you when you see a message? Like what kind of what kind of stuff or what kind of level or whatever? What do you enjoy the most? I like someone. I've got a guy who's called uh, Shane Hurley who's um, been brilliant. He's made some massive gains. I think he started with me. F- I keep thinking he started with me early. I think it's only a- Aprilish, and uh, really keen. Clearly, really naturally strong. Rugby background, hard worker. Technically, all over the place. Really was like posture was bad, inflexible, didn't know what he was like, monging through stuff. And it's really fun just getting him strong, but getting him stronger just through changing his body and changing how he moves and just seeing how his awareness and everything's improved in his event technique. And he's, at, he's, he's stuck to it. So a lot of guys like that, don't, they don't like doing the mobility stuff. They don't like doing the lighter stuff. They want to they go heavier. And he's stuck to the plan perfectly. Like a 30 kilo squat PB, 20 kilo deadlift PB, 20 kilo log, all, all sorts of stuff. Won his, won his first comp, done an opens comp and done well. So for me, it's someone who's keen, who can, who's got quite a lot of training time, who's willing to put in, put in the work and do the hard stuff. Someone who's going to trust the process and can look towards a, like a long term goal. It's great having someone for eight weeks and doing a peak and getting a little game, but someone that's think, right, I'm going to stick with you for a couple of yeah. years and really progress through the ranks. So do you do, do you do like, um, do you train people like say, say someone came to you and was like, um, I've got a comp in six weeks. I want to pay you to just take me to this comp. Do you do that or do you only work more long-term? I'll do it. I've had guys like before, the amount of eight weeks and they'll do a comp and often they'll say, Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to carry on after this. I'm going to go back to my own thing. I'm just going to comp. And most of the time they'll do it, they'll do well, and then they'll end up staying. Um, but yes, yeah, so I will do it. But I'm always you get the value 
long term, don't yeah. we? Well, you get you get the value after the comp. So I think I think people should, if they're going to approach people for coaching, I always think you should want to stay longer than like six weeks to a comp because there's not. I always say to people like, there's not even that much you can do really. If, if you, you know what I mean. To, to be honest, like I actually think it it puts pressure on you as a coach to almost like rush it a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and think, oh shit, I've got to get this guy a peep. Like, I, this is what you I don't used know anything about him. You got to, like you say, Paul, before that sometimes you don't get it right first time, do you? And you've only got six weeks. You've got to jump straight in at week one. And I don't. I I usually turn them down. To I don't like that. To be honest. Yeah. Yeah, same. And what and with, like you, this is what I used to feel like. I used to feel like you're almost like, well, I've got six weeks here to, right, maybe scrape a mongy two and a half kilo PB on a deadlift or something, which they could probably do now anyway if I just got them, asked them to do it. Like they're not necessarily getting significantly better in that time. Um, whereas in six months' time, they could be hitting a 30 kilo PB, like with completely better positions and pain-free and stuff like that. Like that, that's kind of... Yeah, because I mean, with my guys, I'll, I'll get someone and I'll... They've got glaring weaknesses. I'll fix those. I'm not going to worry about the strength. The strength will be there. Um, so I might spend a while just getting them moving better, but that's it. We've got six, eight weeks at comp. You've just got to skip it. You've just got to get into the comp prep. And you're almost kind of... If they've got a, if they're at a disadvantage or an imbalance, you're kind of pushing it, making it worse for yourself. But you've got to because that's what that's what they're paying you for. So I know what you mean about turning them down, but I try and convince those guys that we'll do this for this comp. Afterwards, we can work on this and and build up and and go on to some yeah. That's, that's what I say. Always say, yeah. Let's look at the bigger picture instead of this one instance comp in six weeks. Let's think yeah. about the bigger comp in a year or whatever. You know what I mean? Oh, of course, yeah. yeah um, and, and that's it. And like you, can, because, like, and I think think it's how us three are as coaches, right? If we, we we're coaching somebody, we want to go fucking all in with them. We want to be completely invested in them. So, with like you're doing a six week prep or whatever, you like you can't you can't build that fucking that really true, like coach athlete relationship I don't think like there's a, yeah. a lot of my clients right and guys are paying me every month like I see it, I, I'm at the point with with a, a lot of them I see them as like fucking mates I confide in them and whatever like I trust them like and I think to build that relationship you can't you can't build that in fucking uh, Five five week block or six week comp prep block or whatever. If you're expecting a coach to get you really good results for that, like I think you need you your expectations are slightly wrong. Yeah, I get you. Because I mean, if say you wanted to squat PB in six weeks, like go and do Russian squat routine. It's probably as good as anything. If that works for you, it's probably as good yeah. as any coach is going to prep for you. It's just it's the stuff after, and then it, it's identifying what you need to work on. That's the biggest thing for me. I think. A, Loads of people can give you a program that will work. Like you say, it could be 5-3-1, but you need to know what to work on rather than just, oh, this is a good deadlift program. This is yeah, a good or, program. or where to, where to go. All right, where, where, that, that stopped working. Where do we go now? Like, and yeah, that, exactly. That, that's where, that's where, where, we, where we, we come in. Right. And so how so, do they get in touch with you, Paul, for coaching? Is it Instagram that you do it through or what? 
Yeah, I mean, I do, I do this the programming everything via email. Um, so if you want to give me a shout on, it's PulseSmithStrongman at Gmail. But the easiest way, quickest way, is just message me on Insta, and I'll go through it. Like I say, I'll be taking on some new clients next week. From next week, maybe up to five more. Um, I don't want to take too many at once because I like to see how the workload goes before I take a few more on. Um, yeah, message me. We'll have a chat. Um, general, like you've probably heard from this, we'll generally go through different blocks and different phases of training. A big thing for me is where people go wrong with strongman. They don't treat it as a sport. They're just an extension of a, a gym trainer. So you have your competition season, you have your off-season, you have your pre-season, you have your general preparation phase, your specific preparation phase. For me, I'd like... I feel like I've had 10 years of a kind of general phase and this next 10 years is going to be more specific to strongman after I've got my kind of skill level base there. So there's a lot of things that go into it. And if you are someone who wants to do this for a few years, then we can really get into a long-term plan and they'll help you as an athlete from maybe novice to open, for example. Brilliant. I'll wrap it up there. Thank you very much, Paul. I'll see you soon. Awesome. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Peace Thanks, out, Paul. Peace out, motherfuckers. Doodly doom doom.